if I was to walk out and hire somebody to do what I'm doing, I, I would not be able to survive. The only reason I can survive is because of all my free labor that I that I generously give myself. For them to throw one more roadblock in for for me and other breweries who are really just trying to make it and trying to, to do something creative and something entrepreneurial. It's really it's it's insulting to me that they would that they would even think that that's an acceptable thing. Yeah, the Tavern League and the wholesalers need to understand that cucumber peelers come at twice <laughs> minimum wage. That's right. That's right. And and think all the band-aids when I shear my <laughs> slices off my fingers doing it. Welcome back to the Tap Takeover Podcast. We are here tonight in the heart of Bayview, sitting down at D14 or District 14 Brewing with Matt McCullough. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming. Yeah, absolutely. It's a beautiful day. Summerfest has just started, just to kind of give people an idea of when we're recording here. We're really excited to sit down and talk with you about some of your experimental beers, some of the stuff that you're really known for. Give us a, a little bit about the bar. Walking in for the first time, what can your uh, what can your customers expect? Bayview was kind of a no-brainer for me because I've always known Bayview to have a great craft beer scene. Three years ago when I opened, there wasn't much of a brewery scene in Milwaukee. I mean, we had Lakefront and we had... Um, Milwaukee Brewing in Sprecher. Brenner opened maybe a month before me, but since I've opened, there's been about a dozen breweries. So I wanted to pick a place where I'd have good foot traffic, good exposure, and you know an immediate clientele in my you know in my neighborhood, and that's that's Bayview. Yeah, it's a really nice vibe in here. Uh, a lot of wood, which you know I'm a big fan of. I love walking into a bar and seeing some repurposed wood. It, our listeners can kind of hear some of the the music in the background. It's just a, a really beautiful space, really nice place to come on in and have a beer. So where exactly? did the name D14 come from? Oh, that's a good question. You ever you ever see the uh, the Hunger Games? No, okay, that's not <laughs> it. That that was that was a, a common question because the the that like would have been awesome. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> like the last District 14 is that from the Hunger Games? <laughs> um, so yeah, I always got to laugh out of that. But no, it's actually Milwaukee has many different districts for various things. There's police districts and voting districts and whatever else. But this is the 14th Aldermanic District and the the reason that I picked that as my name was Bayview, as as I'm sure you guys know, is very, very ambiguous. It's a neighborhood in Milwaukee that was uh, originally the village of Bayview until the, the early 1900s when it was annexed into the city. But it still has a very, very strong community feel. And anybody who lives within Bayview is, you know, or, or anybody who lives within a mile of Bayview is, well, I live in Bayview. So I wanted to include all those people too, and that's District 14 and encompasses all that. So it's like saying Bayview and surrounding. And then just from a marketing standpoint, the D14 is very recognizable. You think of, you know, what marketing is these days, and it's social media and, you know, a little dot the size of your pinky nail on somebody's cell phone. And if it said, you know, District 14 all spelled out, it would be nothing. But if you have D14, then you can, it's easy recognizable. So you, you knew that you were going to have a brewery in Bayview? Like that was already decided. Yep. Yep. I picked the. I, you yes. had to find the location, obviously first. Yep. Yep. I did the. I did the location first, and uh, I was originally going to be further down on KK. This this kind of fell into my lap, and the other places didn't work out as much. But yeah. Awesome. All right. Yeah, so what differentiates you from other brew pubs? Okay, um, most most brew pubs, when people think of a brew pub, they think of a restaurant with a brewery. My concept is based more on neighborhood bar, neighborhood brewery kind of a concept. We don't really focus on food. We focus more on the drinking end of things and, of course, are absolutely focused on beer. You don't see a lot of that. You see a lot of the small breweries doing tap rooms. You don't see a lot of the small breweries being brew pubs. But I wanted to appeal to both the bar crowd and to the brewery crowd to hedge my bet, so to say, and appeal to things that I like. Back when you opened, I mean, did that you automatically get that sense of community in here? I, absolutely, yeah. It's uh, I, I've been welcomed by the Bayview community, yeah, definitely. It's it's uh, neighborhood is my my market here. A lot of people want me to do 
brew festivals in northern Wisconsin or Kenosha or whatever, and it, those are not my customers. My customers are within within walking distance of me, most of them. I guess let's start from the beginning. So what got you interested in just brewing your beer, and uh, is there a beer that you first started off that we can find in your current lineup? Um, well, when I first started brewing, I started off home brewing, and I was like most people, I was buying kits and, and doing it on the stove, and, and it was pretty simplistic. When I started going outside of the box a little bit and creating recipes, that's that's really when it kind of the addiction sort of took over for me. And next thing you know, it's, you know, four tap lines in the basement and call my buddies up, hey, drink this so I can put a new one on tap, <laughs> <laughs> which they loved. And now I do the same thing, but it's now I charge them for it. <laughs> but yeah, I, a friend of mine who is, uh, his name's Adam Carraway. He's actually works for me as a bartender and has, it works around Bayview. Um, maybe a dozen years ago, he invited me over to, to homebrew with him, and, and that's really where it started and kind of got, got me interested, and, you know, things progressed from there. As far as a beer that, that is one of my original recipes, it's, it just ran out yesterday, apparently, but our local legend, Brown Ale, was actually the first beer that I really kind of said, okay, I'm going to make a brown ale like I want a brown ale to taste, and that was my first success in that regard, and I still make that beer to this day. So what, what kind of beers were you drinking when you got into brewing? What, uh, what really inspired you to uh, start brewing on your own? Well, it's more the beers that I wasn't drinking. I, I didn't find that there was a lot of selection, and I've, I've always said, as long as I can remember, that my favorite beer is the one I haven't had yet, and I started brewing to have more unique beers. I mean, just to try things that are different than what I could find in the market. When um, you know, I'm dating myself now, in the early '90s, I mean, maybe you'd find a Grays or a, you know maybe a Bell's or something like that, or Sierra Nevada. But otherwise, it was imports. You didn't really get any. There was no real craft beer scene, and you know you might find a bar that had six import beers on tap, and you get pretty excited about it. Now you know you find a bar with six import beers on tap, and you wonder why they don't have craft beer. <laughs> yeah, one of your more special lines is your Kung Fu series. So you've had a number of those yes tell us about that yeah yeah that that started out uh, a friend of mine um who at the time was part of the brewing program at discovery world they have a what they call their master brewer series and i I met her through that her name is kelsey she uh she came in she wanted to brew with me one day and i don't typically let people do that but she um she we got to be pretty good friends through this brewing thing through discovery world so she came in and brewed and she wanted to do a pepper beer and of course most pepper beers are you know a a chili stout or something like that and i wanted to do something different so i wanted to do an asian styled beer and we did a blonde beer using rice in the grain bill rice tends to thin the beer out a little bit make it a little bit more a little bit higher alcohol a little bit lower mouthfeel and then we decided to do some spicing on it and i wanted to do ginger curry and thai dragon pepper along with the uh, um, excuse me uh, and pineapple i should have mentioned that so pineapple ginger curry and thai dragon pepper and the thai dragon pepper if you google that you're not going to find a thai dragon pepper but if you go to the pacific market and you look for the package that has no english words on it but has a dragon on it that's the one but yeah that's come out great the first one of those i called kung fu knights and we spelled it knights with a k because uh it was kind of an english style beard with the the asian influence and then the next one we called kung fu 2 spelling it t-o-o and the next one we we released on earth day and so we called that one kung fu tree and then (laughs) and then the uh the the next one was new kung fu for you with the number four and so now the beer i've kind of settled on my recipe so now i just call that one new kung fu so you were a home brewer and now you're making your foray into being a production brewer what were some of your initial challenges and scaling up from that scale into now you have a three barrel system yeah it it uh it it wasn't as far as scaling up it wasn't really that that hard to do i mean you have it's more of the same really to go from i mean there's equipment differences between professional equipment and homebrewing equipment and a lot of the homebrewing equipment i didn't go out and buy the best homebrewing equipment i mean i was cutting drilling holes in aluminum kettles and buying turkey baster kits or turkey fryer kits and all that stuff 
uh, like many homebrewers do. The biggest thing is more along the lines of the, the business of, of being a brewer and running a business. I mean, those were the challenges. Making making beer now, of course, the beers, the first few beers I made, I, I'm sure weren't as good as the beers that I'm making now. That's, you know, that's part of the curve, of course. But the bigger challenges are more the other ends of running a business. Did you have some challenges opening this space? Oh, absolutely. It was, uh, it was tough. I did it all out of pocket, so I didn't have investors that I could lean on to get some more money. And at one point, I did run out of money and had to find some more money. That was, that's always a challenge. We ran into problems getting permits. Right before they gave us the permit, they asked us or they required us to convert from a light manufacturing zoning to heavy manufacturing. Apparently, there's guys who assemble cranes and iron ore foundries and me that are you know, <laughs> heavy manufacturing. I, I mean, I have the environmental impact of a guy making 100 gallons of soup. I don't know why, why they would think I need to be heavy manufacturing, but, but that's how it was. And then after I got mine, then they, they rewrote that that and you don't have to do that now but yeah that that threw a wrench in the gears like three months of me sitting here paying rent not getting my building done you know well it sounds like you had a tough time kind of getting started so there weren't any like other fellow brewers kind of helping you assisting you along that process of starting up um well sure i mean the the brewing community is very has a lot of camaraderie so definitely there were people who were you know answering questions for me and giving me advice and i try to pay that forward by helping new breweries i, I get that one all the time people coming up well, i want to open a brewery and blah 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 and i try to help as much as i can the light kind of clicked on for me when uh, i was at kenosha public brewing I don't know if you've been to Kenosha Public Brewing, but Matt Geary is a great guy, and he runs a small system. The way it kind of rolled out is my father passed, and he left me some money, and I was looking for how to invest it. And at the time, I was a photographer, and I was wondering, do I want to do a brick-and-mortar photography shop? Do I want to invest in real estate? You know, what do I want to do? And um, I walked into this little brewery in Kenosha and walked back and saw his brewing system, which was a glorified homebrew system, and all of a sudden I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to open a brewery. And so... <laughs> <laughs> Here I am. Once I, it never occurred to me that I could do it on a smaller scale and I would have the, the funds to do it, but that's that's how it came together. Now, how does that compare to your current system? Is that kind of what His you, system yeah. at, at Kenosha Public? Mm-hmm. His system is a, it's it's more akin to a homebrew system because it's gas-fired. It's a psycho-brew system. It's another brand. Mine's electric. His is gas-fired, and it's essentially two two-barrel systems. So he double batches at the same time, two barrels. So he has a four-barrel system, technically. But it's uh, two two ga- uh, two barrel brew kettles and everything. So it's a you know it's there's a million ways to make beer. They all work. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, let's start talking about some of the beers. Uh, okay. So one question we always like to ask any brewer that comes on the show is if you could kind of take over the taps at the Tap Takeover podcast. You know, mm-hmm. yet you, you got a number of them to choose from. You're right. always innovating. Which which of those ta- uh, beers that you've brewed before that you're currently brewing would you kind of use to uh, to fill out that tap list? Well, I don't uh, I don't repeat a lot of my beer. I, there's a few that I that I do repeat, like the Local Legend Brown, the Kung Fu series that I've done. Most everything I do is one-offs, and I do that, you know, that's back to me wanting the beer I haven't had yet. So I would create five unique beers, and I'd drop them on you, and you'd love them. So there you go. Nice. That's what I would do. That's a good um, answer. They all have question marks on yeah. them, like whatever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, we're uh, the Milwaukee Craft Brewery League, which... I don't know if you guys know a little bit about that, but oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're one of our events that's coming up for Milwaukee Craft Brewery Week, which is in uh, end of July, beginning of August. Uh, one of the events is uh, Wisconsin IPA Fest, and it's going to be an IPA contest throughout all of Wisconsin breweries. It's at Third Space Brewing, and he just sent out a you know like a third reminder: Hey, I need your beers. I need your beers. I'm like, all right, man, I'm signing up. Your name: TBD. <laughs> ABV. TBD. Uh, yeah, so I mean, there, I don't have one beer on my on my board now that's actually going to be available for me to bring to this festival. So yeah, he's gonna he's gonna get whatever my newest IPA is. Now, now do folks ever come in and ask, hey, what what about that one beer I tried that one time? I get Are I you get that be a doing lot it again, that kind of thing. I get that a lot. People definitely have their favorites, and it's the the beers that I don't repeat. I, I don't think I've ever repeated an IPA. And everybody has their favorite IPA. And I've done some really big IPAs, some 13 percenters or whatever, and people love those, you know. We did one called Mayor of the Dead, uh, spelled M-A-Y-E-R, which was a little tribute to John Mayer taking on the Jerry role uh, with uh, with the Grateful Dead. And another one, I'm a 
big deadhead. A- another one I called <laughs> Captain Trips, which is one of Jerry Garcia's nicknames back in the day, and that was a triple IPA, another 10, 11 percenter. Those, those two get requested a lot. Um, but yeah, people always have their favorites, and I just, you know, if it's especially if it's an IPA, I say just, you know, you'll like the next one, don't worry. <laughs> but there's so many hops and so many different ways to use those hops, so many things that you can do to make an IPA interesting that I don't really feel the need to repeat those at all. But people request them all the time. So the, the customers have their preferences. Do mm-hmm. you have preferences as a brewer? What, what sort of styles do you really enjoy working with? You know, I, I really, I, I'm all over the board on styles. When it comes to an IPA, I like the flavor and the aroma of hops more so than the bitterness of hops. So you can, based on how you build your beer, you can push on the flavor, you can push on the aroma, or push on the bitterness, or however. And uh, certainly you get a little bit of everything in any IPA, but when I build IPAs and when I, when I enjoy them outside other places, I like to have you know something that, that is very flavorful and very aromatic and doesn't just give you just an ambiguous bitter. So that's a preference for me. So have you tried any of the New England hazy, fuzzy IPAs then? Sure, sure. I'm not sure how they keep them hazy and fuzzy because I don't do any, uh, I don't do any filtering, and that you know eventually they all they all mostly clear up. It's flour. So it's flour. Oh, yeah, no. yeah. I've, don't you know, do that. I've asked a few brewers. I another. Uh, I, I had one brewer tell me that he just every time he walks into the walk-in, he gives the keg a good shake. <laughs> all, right, all right, that's one way to do it. Whatever works. Whatever yeah. works. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure maybe different yeast strains that I I don't use or haven't used yet maybe leave that kind of a you know the hot haze or whatever but I, I typically don't have that they're minor normally clear but you also like to play with your malts as well not i mean hops are a lot of fun but malts are even more fun to play with right because they provide so much flavor and, and aroma as well what style of malts do you like and uh, who provides those? I, I buy from a few different malting companies. Lately, I've been using Malt Europe, which is they do much of their malting at the Freighter malting plant. So they're kind of local, and that's why I initially kind of started using them. But they have great base malts, and they have some very interesting specialty malts. But I buy a lot of Breeze malt. Breeze is pretty much a standard throughout the industry, and they have a vast array of specialty malts. And I buy some Canada malting, which they have great base grains as well. What do you prefer for your base malts? I use a variety of things. I, I really just change it up. I, most breweries, when they, they say, okay, I'm going to brew X beer, Y beer, and Z beer this week, so I'm going to order the grains for those. I look through the, the list of available grains. I think, oh, that looks fun, and this looks neat. I think maybe I'll try this, and then 10 bags of two-row, 10 bags of pale, and 10 rag, bags of Pilsen. And then I walk into my grain room, and I think, what should I make today? And I think, well, I can make this or this, and that's what I do. So it changes up all the time. So I use all, every, every base malt that I can come across i i use it i use english i use canadian i use american just whatever so with the extensive amount of one-offs that you do Mm -hmm. do you have sort of a book of just recipes that are just in the tank i got i've got an ipad that has all every recipe i've ever done since i started building recipes as a home brewer so any any old recipes that you'd say hey i'm gonna come back to this but i'm gonna add this or i'm gonna subtract that yeah and a lot of times that's what i do a lot of times i'll think okay i remember the thwack bam pow ipa i had and i really liked how the you know the hop nose was on that let me look back and see how i hop scheduled that and i'll i'll learn from that recipe to build the next one absolutely uh, do, do you ever find that the the fact that you're doing the one-offs it, does it ever impact the effort to kind of brand yourself a lot of breweries first coming out would get like six beers and that's going to be their core and then they'll maybe mess around with a few others and right. that's kind of their brand right i, I, I kind of like the way that you're going about it as, mm-hmm. as just a one-off brand and that that is your that is kind of your, your identity yeah but do you ever find that that's a, a challenge for them? i i don't think so i think uh i think for somebody who just always wants their river west stein every time they go out to have a beer then those people don't probably come see me you know but people who, like myself, are looking for that next new beer and that next interesting thing and that next new experience, I'm, they're huge fans, I hope. It's the idea. So the goal is never to get bigger than what you are right now because I think the, you'll never can or anything like that just because you will never go back to uh, a bigger batch, will you? Well, or? that's not really true. The, this location, because of the logistics of this location, for instance, I, don't, I mean, I don't have overhead doors where I can run a pallet truck in here. I would never be able to put in huge grain or a huge system or do any of that from this location. But uh, part of the reasons that I part of the reason that I chose to be a brew pub versus a brewery 
was that as a Wisconsin brew pub, you can form a brew pub group and you can have six locations. And at those six locations, you can brew or not brew or however. So my intent moving forward, I mean, ideally I would like to have six locations, but of course the second location is the big step. <laughs> so the second location, I hope to be more of a distributing brewery. And then I will use that distribution to target various markets. And if my beer is a success in that next market, then that's where I put the third brew pub. Now, some so. of your barrels do make it out to some of the bars, though. For sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, I, if I have enough beer to go around, then I call up my buddies who own bars and, do you want a beer? Do you want a beer? And, yeah, they're happy to get it. They feel it's kind of a special thing because I don't have much distribution no, capability. No, I saw, I saw you at the, your guys exploring before. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. We've uh, different breweries. When a brewery opens, a lot of times we'll be looking for guest beers or when we do an MCVL tap takeover. I'll bring them for that. Triskelli's, which is a little restaurant up the road. Great food, by the way. Highly recommend them. That's the only place where I try to keep a tap line going at all times. But they, they don't, I mean, they're kind of small. They don't sell a ton of beer. So, so it's pretty easy. I can, I can squeeze out an extra six barrel every two or three weeks for them. <laughs> but that's, yeah, that's it. But, I mean, yeah, I've had a lot of the Bayview bars. Lee's and Tonic and Urban and, and Lulu's had my beers on, you know, whenever I got it. Pro tip, go to Triskelli's on Tuesdays for their muscle specials. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And Thursdays for their $5 uh, appetizer, so you can small plate yourself into a good food coma. It is the, Thursday, so. <laughs> Getting a lot of love for Triskelli's. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I could go on for a while. All right, well, I think this is a, this is a great time to take a little break. Uh, we're going to uh, go to Andy in the studio for some beer news, and uh, we'll be right back with some more uh, talk with D14 and Matt McCulloch. Welcome to the Tap Takeover Podcast Beer News. The easily accessible beer of this beer news is the My Turn series Dillon, a Dortmunder lager from Lakefront. This classic German-style beer pours deep gold with a loose white head, releasing moderate woody and peppery aromas from late boil, spalter, Czech, Saz, and pearl hop additions. The malty sweetness with traces of caramel is balanced by spicy and earthy noble hop flavors before moving into a clean finish with some lingering hop bite. This is an easy-drinking, great summer beer, so make sure to get some this summer while it's still around. In beer releases, Microphone Brewing in Chicago is releasing Disco Lemonade at their brewery tomorrow, July 27th. This IPA is made with lemon drop hops, lemon peel, lemon juice, and a touch of lactose for that silky finish. Owner Mike Palin says, I haven't been more excited about a beer release than I am about this one. With the beers Microphone is making, we think this is a great excuse to take a ride down to Chicago for this one. And Mike, everyone is patiently awaiting barrel-aged bean spirit this winter. Our friends at Half Acre recently released their double IPA, Deep Space, in four packs. This imperial version of their house IPA, Space, is rarely seen outside of the brewery, and this is the first time it's been packaged. Deep Space pours a very dark orange, bronze, thick head that doesn't last long. Danky hop smell floods your nostrils, and it tastes of strong bitter hops with a slight citrusy tang. You say 10% ABV? I say, really? As it definitely has a boozy feel, it's not as powerful or thick as I'd expect at that level. You want a big bitter bomb? This one is a winner. On a side note, congrats guys on the almost completion of Half Acre's new tap room at the Balmoral facility. We can't wait to come check it out. For upcoming Milwaukee Brewery events, July 28th through August 6th is Milwaukee Craft Brewery Week, and the events will make your eyes pop out. The Milwaukee Craft Brewery League is really pulling out all the stops for the Beer Bloggers Conference, which is also in town this week. It all kicks off on the 28th with a collaboration brewery crawl. Free shuttles between D14, Enlightened, Eagle Park, Mobcraft, Milwaukee Alehouse, Third Space, and City Lights will get you the opportunity to try them all without having to drive. Other highlights for this week-long bash includes a starting a brewery class at the Explorium on July 31st, liquid food drive for the Hunger Task Force at Humble Park with St. Francis Brewery on August 1st, August 3rd is Drink Brew City Day with tap takeovers at World of Beer, Draft and Vessel, and the Urban in Bayview. August 4th brings us Amplified Ales at Mobcraft. Saturday, August 5th is an absolute must with Wisconsin IPA Fest at Third Fest Brewery. It is a contest for best IPA in the state with everyone getting an invite to participate. 
And rounding out this epic week is the second annual Project Terroir Beer Festival and Street Party at District 14 in Bayview, which we learn more about in this episode. In festival news, Saturday, July 29th is Milwaukee Beer Fest at the lakefront. Enjoy some great beers and enjoy the scenic environment right next to Lake Michigan. Saturday, August 5th, you can choose between IPA Fest at Third Space Brewing in Milwaukee, which we just touched on, or Border War Beer Fest in Kenosha. The second annual Border War Beer Fest will feature Wisconsin and Illinois brewers in a friendly battle to see who who takes home the Willie. A traveling trophy awarded to the state with the best brews is voted on by attendees at the fest. A Border War 5K run will be held prior to the fest. Food truck cuisine and home brewers will round out the lineup. And fest goers can cheer on their state. Wisconsin won this friendly competition last year. Can they repeat? Saturday, August 12th in Madison is one of the best beer festivals in the nation. Great taste of the Midwest. This iconic festival features the best of the best Midwest breweries who all bring their tastiest and also hardest to obtain beers. People camp out to purchase hard copy tickets to this one, folks. And the mail-in ticket lottery only got you about a 10% chance of getting tickets. Great Taste Eve has also become an event upon itself, with almost every bar hosting a tap takeover. For two days in August, Madison, Wisconsin becomes a mecca to beer lovers everywhere, and people travel from all over the country to attend. If you are some of the lucky ones who got tickets, say hi to Alex, Andy, or Jim if you see us in our Tap Takeover podcast gear. If you still need tickets, we have heard stories about them being sparsely available at some of the Tap Takeovers or folks selling extras in line. And thank you for listening to this episode's edition of Beer News. Thanks, Andy, again for another fantastic beer news. I don't know how you keep coming up with all this, but it's awesome. So let's get back to uh, some of these really great beers. Let's head into this uh, Belgium that we got directly from the Bright Tank, because that's here at the Tap Takeover podcast, how we drink our beers. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, this is a, uh, essentially it's a Belgian triple done with a Cezanne yeast. And the concept of this beer is that I will take half of this batch and I will make it into a cucumber beer, which I call Cucanbra. So it's like, hey, bra, let's get some Cucanbra, bra, you know. <laughs> uh, it's kind of it's my hippie Belgian beer. I did it last year, so this will be the second time I do it. It was a huge success. When all said and done, it, it's very refreshing. Tastes kind of like cucumber water. It's just delicious. But I, uh, I took that beer to the Midwestern Craft Brewers Association conference at UW Stout last year. And they put out, to all the participants, they put out a call for cucumber beers. They were going to have a cucumber beer contest. So I thought, well, if this is a good reason for me to make a cucumber beer. So I played around with it, and I came up with the beer, and I actually won with it. Tell us about the, the, the base beer here. So okay. there's, there's been no cucumber added to no. this point. No, no, no. There's but, no cucumber in it. Yeah, so tell us about the base beer, because I'm getting a lot of banana esters out of this yep. one. Yep, yep. Actually, the, uh, the base beer last year when I released that separately, I called it Banana Hammock. <laughs> which because of there is a lot of banana uh, but there's also some clove and some vanilla some peppery this is still really young so there's a little bit of a little bit of bitterness still from the yeast the yeast hasn't fully dropped out of this and that's kind of what we're waiting on so we'll be packaging this up tomorrow it's a very simple malt bill we use sriracha ace which is a kind of a new age hop that some people get pickly notes out of which is why I picked it to go towards the cucumber beer. There's very, very little IBUs, very little hop in this at all. So you're not getting a lot of that kind of note, but that does add definitely a dimension to it that you know a typical Belgian wouldn't have. And what's the ABV on this? It feels a little hot. Uh, yes, um, I can check on my handy dandy iPad here and tell you, I believe we're in the nine or 10 range. Okay, yeah. I'm a huge fan of Belgians. Yeah, well, this, I take that back. It's eight. Al- the base alone is, is really good. Thank I mean, you very like, much. It's like a, a bready, like banana quality, like Alex Yep, said. yep, yeah. It definitely has some bread notes. Yeah, it's only, uh, there's only three malts in it, and it has a little bit of cane sugar, too. I like to use cane sugar. It's a good way to uh, add some fermentables as well as kind of thins the beer back down a little bit. So I'll build the beer as a little bit heavier-bodied beer, and I'll use some sugars in it to kind of bring it back down. And that really goes well when you're blending back. Now, with the cucumber, 
number. That, should, I, should I tell you guys my secret, how I do it? Breaking a, news. Breaking, breaking news. news. All right. So the way, that, the way that I do this cucumber beer, most people know what a, a shandy is or a rattler, right? So what you do is typically, traditionally, a shandy or a rattler is beer mixed with soda or, or carbonated fruit juice or whatever. Well, when I make this into a cucumber beer, I'm essentially doing a cucumber water shandy. I take 50 pounds of cucumbers, I peel them, I chop them, I put them into my, uh, into my bright tank for three days, put them under pressure, which helps with the infusion, and then I take all that water out, filter out any chunks, literally have to take my bright tank, lay it on its side and scrape out all the cucumber, <laughs> and then I put that into kegs, and then I determine based on you know, an ounce of this and an ounce of this in a glass, I determine the mix of the cucumber water against the base beer to get the flavor that I'm looking for, and I'll do a custom blend back into the bright tank, pushing the kegs back in. I use the kegs to measure, and then I push it, after it mixes for a couple days, I push it back into kegs, and we've got our our cucumber saison, which is technically a cucumber water saison shanty. So there you go. Try that at home, homebrewers. New ingenuity to the max. Yeah, hey, I do that kind of stuff a lot. So this beer actually is the same exact recipe from the previous year or i know you Um, like the tweak i'm gonna i'm gonna say it probably is exactly the same i can i could tell you if you really want to know no i was just curious going along with your whole uh, if if i if i switched anything it it might have been i i did i it might have been i used malt europe base grain instead of canada malting base grain or something like that but nothing Hmm. nothing major same yeast and this is the belgian ardennes yeast which is a fantastic belgian yeast by y yeast if Again, brewers are out there. Yeah. Another pro tip. We're loving pro this, tip. though. Uh, Matt, don't call me on cucumber peeling day. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't. It was a couple hours. It wasn't that big of a deal. When you get going, you can just start flicking through them pretty quick. Well, I want to touch on when we first met. We met you during Milwaukee Beer Week, but Milwaukee Beer Week, right? Yeah. It was Stein and Dine, but you had a very. We were all naive going into that. Can you tell us a little bit about what that event, Stein and Dine, and the association with Milwaukee Beer Week? Can you can you give us the distinction between Milwaukee Beer Week, which has you know come and gone, and Milwaukee Craft, Craft Beer, Beer Week, Beer. which is going to be coming up? Okay, first of all, it's Milwaukee Craft Brewery Week. Okay. Okay, that's the biggest distinction. So close. Um, that's all right. It, it's <laughs> I, I still do it myself. Oh, Beer Week. Beer, no, Brewery Week. Well, all right. It, this all kind of started when the MCBL, which is the Milwaukee Craft Brewery League. Once a few more breweries started popping up after me, a few of us got together and said, hey, you know, we should start planning events and doing this. And it was right around the time that Milwaukee Beer Week, which is, it honestly, it has really nothing to do with Milwaukee beer. It has, it's, it's put on by Beachwood Distribution. And it's about their brands. Now, um, of their brands, Milwaukee Brewing is one of their brands. So, of course, that is a Milwaukee beer and a fantastic brewery, of course. And I believe they might have picked up a... Well, that might not be common knowledge, so I won't say that. But they might have picked up another one of one of the local breweries in town. But regardless, it's not really about Milwaukee beer. And so we were really kind of put off by that. I mean, this is our beer week, and I, they won't let me get into their advertising. I can't put my events on their app because I'm, I'm a brewery and I'm not one of their breweries. So we decided that we were going to start doing these events and we started doing tap takeovers. And that's the, the very first MCBL event was during Craft Beer, or excuse me, during Milwaukee Beer Week. And we did it at Brenner and it was a huge success. And then we've been doing them every month after that since then. Then once the whole Craft Beer Bloggers Conference, you guys are familiar with that coming to town, right? Me and a few others really wanted to push to turn these guys on their ear and show them a beer town going crazy over local beer so that's why we decided to do milwaukee craft brewery week and we're doing that the final weekend of that is the weekend of the craft beer bloggers conference that was the impetus for doing it at that time how many years in a row is that that this is the second year that they've been coming or the third? of the no this will be the first year they 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 do this in different cities we had to as a city we had to really bid for this okay and a lot of people a, a lot of the breweries got together i wasn't part of this but a lot of the milwaukee breweries got together and they did like little video snippets and sent this to them and i mean we really had to shake our tail feathers to get them to come look at us and consider us for a location that's fantastic and and i think this is a really important discussion to have uh, the differences between you know big distributors and small distributors it's very topical as well there's some legislation in, yes. in the uh, Wisconsin state legislature right now 
trying to create a, a separate arm of the government, which would basically control who can and cannot distribute their own beer. It's, it's right. a really kind of well, crazy. Could we, could we get your thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm Number one, the retail side, which is the Tavern League, and the distribution side, which is, I can't remember what they, they call themselves, but it's the distributors. They are trying to pass legislation without talking to us, the manufacturers, and not have us be part of that conversation. Why? Because they're trying to obviously take things away from us. Here, here's the issue: the, the tavern league and the the distributors are upset because instead of the average person going to the the corner bar and drinking beers that the distributor buys from the brewery and sells to the tavern, these people are like, "Wow, I want to just go right to the brewery." And so, in the mind of the tavern league, they're not you know they're not getting the revenue because these people are going to the brewery instead of going to the tavern. And in the mind of the distributor, they're not getting the revenue because because instead of selling the beer to them to go to the tavern, they're just selling it direct. Now, to some people, this might make sense. I'm not, I'm not sure who, but it makes no sense to me. I understand why the, the three-party system was put together, and I'm not necessarily about abolishing the three-party system, but they're trying to increase their tills with legislation, which is, to me, that is, that is the evil of a capitalist society. Um, it, it really does seem crazy. If, it is. If you, if you provide that much of a service, people will search you out for that service. Right. But to legislate it and say you have to go through this distribution service, right. it just seems, it seems wrong. Right. It seems it, absolutely it's, wrong. It's terribly wrong. And the new brewery model isn't, okay, I'm going to put up a brewery and I'm going to start you know, bottling and kegging and I'm going to sell it to everybody. That was great 10 years ago. But you know, now we have five times the breweries that we did in the United States. And it's not that simple. There's not not going to be another Ballast Point. There's not going to be another Sierra Nevada or uh, Samuel Adams. That's not going to happen anymore. It's going to be regional, small, you know, smaller distributorship for breweries just because there's so many of them. Now, if you have these small breweries that are trying to make it and trying to establish themselves in their local market and you tell them that they can't have their tap rooms, then they're going to shut down. Every brewery right now that I'm aware of that's opened in the past year or two is absolutely surviving on their tap room. So if they put this legislation down, it's going to shut down all the microbreweries in Wisconsin, all the newer, smaller microbreweries. Well, this new legislature, do you think it's the Tavern League and uh, the distributors fishing for something that's going on like in other states where the tap rooms have to give a percentage of the pie, let's say, right. to fund for the distributors in the Tavern League for losing business? Well, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they want us, they want me as a, as a brew pub who doesn't distribute to sell my beer to a distributor and then buy my beer back from them to sell. Well, it's like in, some, in some other states, they've actually circumvented that whole process of you giving your beer to them. Just by paying them a Just by paying them a stipend, pretty much, for that, doing it. That's pretty ridiculous, it don't is. you think? Yeah. Well, we're going to fight that yeah. really, really, really it, hard. It, it's called a dock tax. So the beer yeah. never leaves the dock. The brewer, the manufacturer, sends an invoice to the distributor. The distributor right away sends an invoice back with their markup. And the beer never leaves the dock. They never do anything. And for all our listeners, this is just not a Wisconsin-centric issue. Uh, mm-hmm. This is for all our listeners across all the United States. Recently, Texas passed a law where they actually have this now for brewers within the state and out of state that dare open a tap room. They need to pay off the local distributors. Yeah, Jim, I, I think it's important that we bring up that this isn't just a Wisconsin thing. When we Way back when, when we talked with Half Acre Brewing, that was a really big interview for us, mm-hmm. and they talked about, you know, they're one of the number two, I think they're the number two brewery in Chicago. And when they first opened their, their new facility, the Belmoral facility, they ran into a similar situation where they were unable to take the beer that they were brewing at the bigger facility and sell it at their tap room, which was across town. They they changed the legislation because it seems silly, and we thought, you know, that that's crazy that that old legislation would be on the books. What we're seeing now in Wisconsin is they're trying to take that legislation and, <laughs> and now put it, put it the on books. the books. <laughs> like, yeah, that's it's just crazy. To me. It is crazy. It's it's ridiculous. There's enough enough people dipping into the coffers. I I promise you, three years in, I'm not you know I'm not looking at belly up, but I'm not getting rich. I mean, I I bust my ass. I'm here 80 hours a week plus, and when I'm at home, I'm googling this or googling that. I never turn it off. I'm working all the time. If I was to walk out and hire somebody to do what I'm doing, I, I would not be able to survive. The only reason I can survive is because of all my free labor that I that I generously give myself. For them to throw one more roadblock in for for me and other breweries who are really just trying to make it and trying to, to do something creative and something 
entrepreneurial. It's really it's it's insulting to me that they would that they would even think that that's an acceptable thing. Yeah, the Tavern League and the wholesalers need to understand that cucumber peelers come at twice <laughs> minimum wage. That's right. That's right. And and think all the band-aids when I shear my <laughs> slices off my fingers doing it. So so as we're sitting here the day before the budget's supposed to close, right? Has there any insider information on whether these actually tried to fish this bit nine 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 bill or not? Um, it doesn't. Well, we've all been calling our legislators, and we've all been talking to them, and they're all saying they're not going to sign anything that that does this. And we're open to revising the laws, but we need to be we need to be at that table. I mean, at the the you know the Wisconsin Brewers Guild, we need to be sitting at that table. And for them to just universally you know slap something down and say, hey, here here you go now that that business plan that you had that you just sunk all your money into, well, that's not really going to work anymore. Because it, it really wouldn't. I mean, it would it would shut down most of the breweries in most of the new breweries in, in Milwaukee would shut down if if that happened. Well, just think how many have started since you started. Right. I mean, yeah. that's a huge chunk. Right. Right. And and they all are surviving on their tap rooms. I mean, you look at Mobcraft, Third Space, all those guys, Good City. They're all. I mean, they're all distributing. They're all getting their beers out and all that. But they're not. They're not making their money doing it. They're making money selling pints of beer at their bars. And uh, for what it's worth, we here at the Tap Takeover Podcast, we stand with you guys. We stand with the craft brewers here in yeah. Wisconsin. We, we're completely opposed to this legislative move by the distributors. Mm-hmm. We put out a statement asking, you know, a call to arms to everybody involved with the Tap Takeover podcast, the whole Tap Takeover posse. We're yep. saying, call your legislators. <laughs> this is pretty bogus stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's is. why we got into this, because we yeah. love craft beer. So. Yeah. And yeah, you ask, you ask any consumer, and they're going to say, oh, that's ridiculous. Why should they pay this guy who does nothing a, a dock fee or whatever? And, you know, every consumer would, would think it's ridiculous but somehow that doesn't carry as much weight as it should when it comes down to writing writing law all right we're getting a little hot here all so, right <coughs> we're yeah, gonna switch back gears. it down we're all gonna right. switch gears <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna bring it back to Take d14 district 14 so give us the load on what what do you have going on for the rest of the summer rest of the year vent wise beer wise yeah both trying to knock out two three beers a week that'll be uh the key to me keeping my my tap lines filled so i'm going to be trying to do that next coming up we talked about the belgian banana hammock and the uh uh, the cucumbra and then we also have our dirty blonde coming back which is another another one that i've repeated many times probably the most prolific beer i've done i think this will be the 12th batch of that one Uh, it's it's a blonde kolsch very very popular easy drinker and we've got a oh i've got a belgian quad that I did with Mobcraft and Explorium, which is a collaboration beer. That's coming up soon, and that's right now aging on oak staves, and that's going to be fantastic. And then I have another collaboration beer I'm doing with Milwaukee Brewing, which we're going to brew here. That other one we brewed at Explorium. That one's going to be a higher ABV milk stout. We're going to be looking at 9-10% milk stout. Uh, the details on that one, we haven't worked out yet, but that's probably going to be happening this week. TBD? Uh, it's a TBD. <laughs> <laughs> I've also got a uh, another beer I'm going to be doing with Fermentorium out of Cedarburg, which is going to be a green tea rhubarb. Uh, green tea rhubarb beer. I can't remember what we talked about for the base on that, but that should be really interesting. The owner of Fermentorium has a bunch of rhubarb in his backyard, so it's going to be like <laughs> plucked out of the yard kind of rhubarb. And then I'm also doing a collaboration with City Lights Brewing, and that is going to be a lemongrass saison. And all those beers are going to be featured on the opening event of Craft Brewery Week on July 28th, which will be a bus tour between breweries and a release of probably 15 different uh, collaboration beers amongst all the MCBL members. Excellent. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, sounds like you got a busy year here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we yeah, I we got a lot of stuff. The and the Craft Brewery Week is I'm actually on that committee, so I'm involved in a lot of the planning on that and that's it's been taking a lot of my time, but I know this is important. We all want Milwaukee to be a beer destination like like Grand Rapids or, you know, Portland or places like that where people just go for beer tourism and that's really what we're aiming at and that's our goal and we think that the bloggers conference combined with uh, Milwaukee Craft Brewery Week is really going to help inspire that sort of tourism. Before we get into our one of our favorite questions for our brewers uh, asking them about their cellar collections <laughs> I want to talk about another thing that you got coming up your project terroir. Ah yes. Uh, 10 brewers one recipe where you get the taste 
the terroir of each brewery. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a that's that's a really neat thing. That was a concept that kind of came up originally when I was talking to uh, one of the brewers at Raised Grain. That's when it kind of formulated in my head. But the the conversation that we had was based on when people ask me, well, you know like most breweries will have fermentation control, temperature control on their fermenters. I don't. I brew my beers. I keep keep them in my cellar. And just like back in the day, I mean, the temperature of the cellar is going to go up and down. And I consider that to be terroir of my brewery. You know, in the summer, it's 72 down there. And in the dead of winter, it's 52. So it's going to change the beers a little bit, right? It's going to maybe make them ferment slower or faster. It's going to add different uh, esters or notes or character marks to them. Water. I mean, some guys go through all all the filtering process of their water. Some guys use uh, different types of uh, fermentation vessels. Sometimes people, you know, we all have different equipment. Everybody has their own thing to where, I mean, if we really tried as hard as we could to make the exact same beer, there's no way. I mean, we would just, it would be nearly impossible just because there's so many environmental factors, much like if you grow Chardonnay grape in in Napa versus growing it here in Wisconsin. It's going to be different because of the terroir. So I feel that that's true of breweries too. It's not as much the the soil or whatever, but it is about all the different things that we do. So the project terroir, the concept of that is that we all take the same recipe scaled per our equipment size per barrel, and then we brew whatever beer we want with it. And we have the hops are set up so we have a low alpha hop and a high alpha hop. And alpha means the amount of acid, so a higher alpha hop will be hoppier, for for lack of a, a more technical way to put that, and certainly more bitter than a low alpha hop. So if you use the high alpha hops early in the boil, then you get more bittering. If you use them later in the boil, then you get less bittering from them. Based on how we use these hops, we could, right there alone, we could make a thousand different beers, you know, just by changing up the hop program. That, and we allow for the brewers to use whatever their house yeast is, or if they're like me and they switch up their yeasts all the time, then we use different yeasts. So this allows us to do, like, all sorts of different kinds of things with really just the exact same ingredients except yeah. for yeast so uh this year it's august 6th yes uh, for those that want to come out and enjoy it uh what's the recipe this year uh this year it is we're using malt europe grains this year they're actually a sponsor of the event which is pretty exciting for me i've been using their stuff and i really like it and i love that they're that they're local and doing you know some of their malting here in town we're using pale as the base and then uh, C60, which is caramelized or crystallized 60L. And we're using uh, one of their new products, which is a steamed 3.5. It's similar to a carapils, but it's not roasted like traditional grains. It's steamed. So carapils is a popular breeze product that's used for specifically for head retention because it has properties that, that will help the beer maintain good foam. And uh, so many, many, many recipes have something like that. That in them and specifically carapils in most places in most cases uh, but the their steamed 3.5 is really an interesting product and I think it's really going to add a unique challenge to this and uh, what are the hops? Uh, the hops are Centennial and Fuggle, both which have... Fuggle's a traditional English hop, which has some floral notes. Centennial is a more more modern-day hop, but also has some floral notes. So it'll be really interesting to see how people use these. Floral IPAs are not necessarily the, you know, the, the hot thing right now, but certainly, you know, floral IPAs are a lot of fun, and pale ales, and there's just so many different ways you can use these two hops. It's, it's going to be a challenge, and it's going to be really exciting, I think. So what, what overall is this style that's being, is, is it like an English ESB? It'll be many different Amber. styles. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the, the only similarity really between the beers when you're drinking them is going to be, you'll, you should see basically the same color. That should be it. We allow people to do barrel aging and uh, and or oak staves or whatever. Okay. So somebody could put this into a Chardonnay barrel and it would totally change it, right? Um, or any kind of a spirit barrel or whatever. Based on how you do the hopping, you could do anything from a pale ale to an IPA just based on the, the hop level. You could have you could use a Belgian yeast, a Cezanne yeast. Last year okay. for this, I did a I did mine with a Cezanne yeast, and instead of making it a really hoppy Cezanne, if I'd have dumped all the hops into the boil, so what I did is I just used the lower alpha hops in the boil, and I used the rest as a dry hop. So it was a dry hop Cezanne, came out great, and it was totally unique from others. We had one that was done with Brett last year. I think this year I think we're going to have a lager, and I think we're going to have one that's kettle soured as well. 
and probably some IPAs, and it's kind of an ambery color, so you could certainly kind of go amber with it. It's, I mean, that's what really makes it exciting. People don't realize that the, you know, the grains and the hops that are in the beer, you know, that's really a small part of what brings, you know, what makes that beer what it is. The bigger things are technique and yeast. Yeah, that, that's super exciting. So that's really cool. Yeah, it sounds like a fantastic event. Uh, you talked about the, the terroir of the cellar and how it can kind of change the beers. Mm-hmm. That, that's been a big theme on the Tap Takeover podcast. Uh, we, we love to see how cellar aging can kind of uh, change a, the fundamental flavor of a beer. Right. So do you have any beers in your cellar? Are you a cellar ager? Do you like to keep a uh, little collection? And, and what are your thoughts in general of cellar? Of cellar? Yeah. All right. Well... Here's the thing with celery. It can make a beer better or it can make a beer worse, but it is going to make a beer different. To some people, I mean, you may serve the same beer to, you know, a five-year-old imperial stout to all five of us, and some of us might like it, and some of us may be like, eh, I don't know, I don't, I don't care for it, even though the base beer might have been appealing to all of us. Higher ABV beers, you have a better chance of things going right. If you try to sell her a lower ABV beer, it's not going to be awesome. I'll just tell you that now. IPAs, some people... You know, IPAs were originally put into beer as a preservative. Those IPAs were meant to be aged. So a lot of people say, well, you can't age an IPA. Well, you can age an IPA. Now, you're not going to have that fresh hop taste. You're not going to get all that fresh hop aroma. But you're probably not going to have a terrible beer. I personally don't mind aged IPAs, especially hmm. imperial IPAs. Yeah, I know that goes against a lot, That's of, beer, interesting a lot of beer geek thought. But it goes along with, uh, you know, higher alcohol, darker beers, heavier beers age. Right. Happy, fresh, drink now, fresh. Right. I've never heard anyone age an IPA. Well, 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 we did. We had on the show. Yeah, with the Dave, Dave Olson, Olson interview. We had a five-year-old 120. Yeah, but that was a 120. Yeah. Double, yeah. It's, right. It is an IPA. Right. And I know, but it was a that's an ageable IPA. Yeah, right, right. That's where you get into it. Yeah, I mean, it, an IPA, if, after uh, three months, after six months, you're, it's not going to be the same beer. The, a lot of that hop flavor and aroma is going to fall out. So don't expect it to taste like an awesome IPA. But yeah, you know, whatever. I mean, last time I bought a bottle of 120, I think I probably paid five bucks for a 12 ounce bottle or something like that. Now, whether or not I'd want a, you know, $5, 12 ounce bottle, you know, rolling the dice, it's probably going to be a lot better, you know, fresh, like the brewer wants you to drink it. And that's probably true with most beers. Most beers, that brewery's putting it out and saying, yeah, this is how I want you to drink it. So you know what? In most cases, I drink it. I don't really sell her a ton of beer. Of my own stuff, I did a barley wine in 2015 that I did with crystallized rye. And the rye, I crystallized right here in the pub in my, in my convection oven. A homebrewer friend of mine had gotten into to roasting malts and stuff, and he came in and we did it one day, and then I invited him over to, to brew the beer with me. And I do actually have about a dozen bottles of that sitting in my basement that I, that I bottle it. The only thing I've ever bottled, I never even labeled them because they're just for, for use here, but um, that. And then whenever I have an interesting beer and I can spare it to put it aside, I'll put aside a six or a half barrel of it and put it into the cellar and I'll save it for my anniversaries or my birthday party or some special event. But those are never more than, you know, a year and a year and a half, year, year and a half old, something like that. But I think uh, anything in a higher ABV is, is good for a couple of years. Thank you for letting us come in here, sit down, do this interview. Really appreciate it. I think that's going to do it for us. All right, there, great. there is no more beer. Uh, well, that's what we say. So we, no we've got beer. plenty of beer. You didn't drink us out of beer yet. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. So then we should end the episode. So for myself as Suze. For Alex. This is Jim. Andy. And Matt. This has been another solid non-field podcast. Cheers, guys. Cheers. 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 Thank you very much. There's no